Today's lesson is David the Victorious King. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. When we last saw David, he had been anointed king by Samuel and entered the personal service of King Saul. Today's passage focuses on the contest between David and Goliath. Not many years could have passed between David's anointing and this narrative because he was not old enough to be considered for service in Saul's army. Some Bible scholars put David's anointing age at around 10 to 12 years old, and his battle against Goliath at the age of 15 to 17 years. In five years, teenage David had gone from sitting in the field with sheep to facing down the most feared enemy in the land. Growing up can be tough. The teenage years are different for everyone, but rarely are they boring. Regardless of your family situation or your hometown, you changed from a child into an adult in those years. As we consider David today, let's imagine ourselves in his shoes. Knowing his eventual calling, struggling with the respect from his family, serving a king with a tormenting spirit, all encompassed with the bravado and silliness that accompany a normal teenager. Jesse was a proud father, knowing his son would be the king, but he probably played, prayed with everything that he had that this youngster would actually live to adulthood to be king. Now, Goliath, on the other hand, was the champion of the Philistine army, and he stood nine feet nine inches tall. Well, the average Israelite male was five feet six inches tall. Goliath was equipped with metal armor and weapons at a time when the Israelite soldiers did not have easy access to metal and most had no armor at all. The first point in this lesson is the future king arrives as an unlikely hero. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, then skipping to verses 22 to 24, and then skipping ahead to 32 and 33. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day Jesse had told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. The Israelites were neighbors with the Philistines, and who were a seafaring people, who occupied the west coast of the Promised Land on the Mediterranean Sea. 
We know that Abraham lived as an alien in the land of the Philistines, and that tension existed between the Philistines and Abraham's descendants a millennia before David's battle with Goliath. When God led his people out of Egyptian slavery, he steered them away from the road that was straight to the that went straight to the land of the Philistines and the Promised Land, even though it was nearby, in order to protect them from an early exposure to war. And though the land belonging to the Philistines had been assigned to the tribes of Dan and Judah, they had a tough time keeping it under Israelite control. In a fresh engagement between these neighbors, we find a classic standoff. The Philistines on one hill and the Israelites on the other with a ravine between them. The Philistine army was feared due to its formidable chariots, but the ravine had helped to nullify their advantage. Still, a bigger advantage stepped onto the battlefield every morning and every evening. Goliath. Standing over nine feet tall with armor and weaponry, most people would struggle to lift. He called out for an Israelite to face him in man-to-man combat. And every morning and evening, a total of zero or no Israelites were willing to raise their hands to accept the challenge. It looked like the standoff would last a while. As Jesse was sending David with supplies for his brothers in the army, since the fighting men would typically live off the land during the battle, it seems that they possibly had run out of resources. When David had arrived, he handed off the goods he'd hauled from miles away and went to check on his brothers. He was just in time to hear the champion bellow his challenge and watch the Israelites retreat, terrified. Even though a great bounty had been offered to the man who killed Goliath, riches, marriage to the king's daughter, and a family tax exemption. After David witnessed the travesty of Goliath's boast and the Israelites' fear, he began asking questions and denouncing the giant and his boldness landed him directly in front of King Saul. Really, I should mention here that the Israelites had an obvious champion to face off with Goliath. Saul, the sitting king's reported physique was impressive, such that he stood a head taller than everyone else. Tallest guy, impressive. Well, why wasn't Saul standing up for his people and his fighting men? Why wasn't he out in front, leading Israel to victory over their enemies. There could be any number of reasons, but let's not forget the spirit that tormented him. With David's shepherding back with Jesse, Saul's torment may have been worse than normal. Saul's hesitancy contrasted greatly with young David's courage and boldness. David had already done so much to help Saul, He played the lyre to soothe his mind. He'd become the king's personal armor-bearer, and he he had proven himself worthy of Saul's favor as well as his friendship. Now David was doing his best to strengthen Saul's heart in the face of this hopeless situation. Now we can only imagine the look of shock on the king's face. This teenager was brave enough to step into the ring with a giant who'd been a warrior all his life. Saul may have really been trying to protect his friend David. Or he may have been considering how he could save face in this terrible situation. Whatever the reasoning, 
Saul deemed David as far too young to bear the weight of this battle and the hopes of the nation. But David stepped up to fight Goliath, but first, as we see, he would need to convince the king Saul that he could handle this challenge. So the second point of the lesson is the future king trust in the Lord for victory. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 to 40. David answers Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. So a sling is a long-range weapon made from two braided cords of leather, animal sinew or cloth, and it's attached to one in, attached to one end of each cord was a piece of cloth, wool or leather that was used to hold a stone about the size of a tennis ball. The sling was spun horizontally or vertically, then one cord was released, which would in turn eject the projectile. Upon impact, the stone could disarm weapons, break bones, cause a concussion, and sometimes even kill the target. In light of Saul's doubt, David made his case for accepting Goliath's challenge, but he didn't trump up his fighting prowess or his worthiness. Instead, David gave his testimony of how the Lord had strengthened and rescued him. As Christians, whenever we speak of God's activity in us and our lives, we are actually giving testimony. So, at this point, David gave his testimony to Saul. As a teenage shepherd, he'd stood up to lions and bears that had taken lambs from his flock. And after rescuing his animals, if the predators attacked him, he just killed them. Does that sound like youthful bragging? Well, possibly. But in this circumstance, I really don't think it was. In the next sentence, David identified that source of his strength in his hand-to-paw combat. The Lord rescued, he said. Because of this testimony, Saul eventually relented and gave the young shepherd his blessing, not because of David's exploits, but because of David's explicit faith in the Lord God Almighty. At one time, Saul knew this same faith. David trusted the Lord because the Lord had proven himself trustworthy. Picture young David alone in the field with his sheep surrounded by the dark and the noises and the unknown, all alone. He had to learn to depend on the Lord to give him comfort, peace, and ultimately victory. 
God often uses our alone moments to prove himself faithful to us. We don't always need to avoid silence, solitude, and isolation. Rather, we should use those moments to hear God and know his powerful presence. At the word lion, you may have thought of another Bible verse that talked about the king of the jungle. First, uh, let's think about Peter, chapter 5, verse 8. It refers to the devil as one who is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. This metaphor may actually overwhelm us. How on earth can we stand up to such an enemy? Well, the Bible also gives us that answer in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So like young David, we need to fight our enemy. We do not need to fight our enemy alone. We need to take our stand and trust that Almighty God will fight it for us. So Saul gave David his blessing, but then he tried to give David his own armor and weaponry. Perhaps he thought it would give the young man a little protection, possibly an advantage. Maybe he was just trying to fool Goliath and the armies into thinking it was actually Saul coming out to fight. But... David was a shepherd. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't used to such battle gear, especially gear that would have been fitted for an impressive king like Saul. Instead, David grabbed the tools with which he was accustomed, five smooth stones, and he tucked them into a bag and a sling in his hand. It's important for us to remember that God raises up men and women all over this world to fight on his behalf, and many of them have never picked up a sword or its modern-day equivalent. But the Lord has been training us to use the tools at our disposal. Maybe perhaps yours is a keyboard, a guitar, or even a sewing machine. You might bring him glory with a joke, a hug, or even just the ability to listen well. Maybe you soothe upset teens or talk easily to people in nursing homes. Regardless of your gifts, it's important that you use the tools that God has given you to point others to God's love, mercy, and grace. What could David have been thinking as he walked toward the battlefield? Perhaps he was a little excited, a little afraid. Did he feel inferior walking out to the giant while wearing his shepherd's clothing, holding a staff, a sport, and sporting a face that had never needed a shave? Or like many teenage boys before and after, was he thinking, this is going to be awesome? Whatever his thoughts, he went trusting the Lord. David was confident in his abilities because he trusted the Lord, so he walked out with his five smooth stones and slings. What would happen when this teenage boy stepped into the battle arena with the most feared warrior his people had ever known? Every eye on the battlefield was on him. Would he cave or would he shine under the pressure? This brings us to the third point of the lesson. The future king wins the victory for his people. This is what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 to 51. David said to the Philistine, You've come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, 
you have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistines. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. Goliath was ready for battle. Not only had he been a warrior for years and fitted with exceptional armor, but he was aided by a shield-bearer who went before him. Not much of Goliath's giant self was vulnerable, and no doubt, this fed his belittling taunt of young David. The boy before him hadn't changed much from the time of David's anointing. Still a youth, healthy and handsome. So it's little wonder Goliath didn't show him any respect on the battlefield. And what's worse, Goliath made this battle explicitly spiritual, cursing David by his gods. David was already offended on behalf of his god for Goliath's defiance of Israel's army. How much more would this godless cursing have boiled David's blood? So David made his stand, not, not by his own power, mind you, or his weapons, but by the power of his God, the Lord of armies. He was fighting not only for his people and his own skin, but primarily for the God who had been with him in each of his previous battles. It's interesting to note that David was unaccustomed to the trash talk of warriors, Simply re, who simply repeated Goliath's threat, threats with a, from verse, chapter 17, verse 44, with a slight change in verse 46. David's confidence in the Lord was unmatched. He believed the Lord would grant him an amazing upset victory that would begin with Goliath's death and extend to the Philistine audience. But David's sights were set on more than the activity in this ravine and the two adjacent hills and armies. He boasted that all the world, for generations and generations to come, would know about the God in Israel. And both the Israelites and Philistines would see firsthand that the Lord saves, and he doesn't need the weapons of the world to do so. David was confident in God's protection, God's victory, and God's glory in this exhibition of power, and Israel's God would not be conquered. Likewise, we shouldn't stand at our battle lines with fear and foreboding, but we actually should have confidence in the God who saves. The climactic battle began. Goliath moved toward the young man, and words like lumbering and thundering come to my mind. After all, he was over nine feet tall, 
David ran quickly with no hesitation. The battle was the Lord's, and David believed it with every fiber of his being. For this being the climactic battle, the focus of the entire chapter, the fight itself really is pretty anticlimactic. It's over almost as soon as it began, and it was shorter than the speeches that had preceded it. The combatants charged. David sped ahead to the battle line, grabbed a stone, placed it in the sling, whirled it around, released it. At break skull speed, the stone sank into Goliath's forehead, dropping the Philistine's champion instantly. Goliath never had a chance to land a blow, except to the earth with his crumpled body. The fight was over. The rest was simply a formality. Much had been made of Goliath's gear, and Goliath himself pointed out how David came with sticks. But David declared swords and spears don't make or break a battle that belongs to the Lord. When David defeated Goliath without having a sword, he proved the truth of his words and his God. But also true to his word, he took Goliath's sword and cut off the giant's head, killing him where he lay. The conclusion of this narrative recalls the substance of Goliath's taunts at the beginning. He bellowed out for an Israelite champion to face him one-on-one. If the Philistine won, then the Israelites would surrender and serve the Philistines and vice versa. But he spoke this out of a confidence in his victory, and his army boasted right along with him. Yet, when the terms of the agreement came due, guess what? The Philistines fled like rats on a sinking ship. The Israel's army pursued and struck many of them down. David's upset victory points us to the day when David's descendant, Jesus Christ, defeated sin and death through the cross and resurrection. If we don't remember anything else from this lesson, we need to remember that truly the Lord saves. I want to close with a voice from the church. Henry Blackaby said that the account of David and Goliath vividly pictures the source of the Christian's faith. Not our own size and strength or resources, but the power of Almighty God. That was Henry Blackaby. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just thank you for your victory over Goliath and your son, Jesus Christ's victory over death and sin. And I just pray, Lord, that you would be with the people that listen to this lesson today, that you would just... Fill them with your spirit and guide and direct their path and inspire these words so that they grasp what they need out of this lesson. And Lord, I pray for those that are sick and hurting today, that you would just be with them and lift them up and surround them with your grace and your loving mercy. And Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct us and help us to show us how and when we can share our own testimony of what you're doing for us each and every day throughout the moments of the day. For it's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray. Amen.